see, young America, we need to talk. You may think this is uncool. You may even think it is bogus. But I want to tell you about something that has everyone buzzing. Something that concerns mature boys and girls just like you. Something called grassroots. Hey everyone, this is Aaron Ashley Simon. This is Brandon Kidley H. Hall. And welcome to another episode of Grassroots Podcast. Today we have a special guest. You may love him, you may hate him, but you damn well know he's a great writer. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love his article. Thank so. you. Thank you. No problem, no problem. Thank so you. for those who don't know who our guests are, I'm going to let him introduce himself. Tell him a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, who you write for, and so forth. Well, my name is Yo. I am a music journalist from Atlanta, Georgia. I write for websites like djbooth.net. I've done stuff with OK Player, Mass Appeal, The Hundreds. Um, just an array of different uh, music websites. Uh, pretty much, I'm known for like long form editorials, real insightful, and uh, just pieces about artists. Some of your favorites from Kendrick Lamar to Drake to Chance the Rapper. Uh, anyone in rap, I've probably written something pretty dope on, to be honest. So, speaking of writing, um, I saw before that you had a nine to five previously, you worked at a gas station, had some other jobs. And then I, around 2015 was when you decided to quit and start this journey of being a full-time writer. Um, what was that experience like for you? And what made you inside be like, you know what, this nine to five is not for me. Like, I'm just going to go all in with this writing if it works or it doesn't. Such a great question. Um, I graduated high school in 2009. So when I got out of high school, we were going through that recession period. So there really wasn't any jobs. So because I couldn't get really employment, I was just like, I got into music writing. I got into hip hop super, super heavy. I was already always into it. But, you know, when you have time, you know, you're not in school, you just got all of this, uh, all this time to listen to music. So I was listening to albums and I was writing my albums. But of course, that wasn't making any money for me. So I did get jobs at uh, gas station, and uh, I was working at Olive Garden. It was my last job before I moved into music writing. And I just realized it wasn't for me. I, it wasn't what I was passionate about. It wasn't something that was driving me. And all my time at these jobs was just me thinking about music, thinking about writing, and trying to figure out how I was going to get out of this. Like I had to find a way to write full-time. That, that was my goal. That was like my entire incentive was I just wanted to write about music and I wanted to do it full-time. So uh, when I was able to get in contact with DJ Booth, they they didn't bring me in immediately. You know, they just let me do some freelance stuff and I was at Olive Garden at the time, but like I was so like passionate about making sure that DJ Booth worked for me. Like I was just hitting them up them pieces, even though it wasn't for pay, it was just like my foot was close enough in the door where I knew this opportunity was going to lead somewhere. 
And uh, when they had the space and, and the money to pay me, like the first thing I did was I like, quit my job. Like, I put my two weeks in. As soon as they gave me the call to like, hey, you want to you wanna do this full time? I was like, yes. And I, was, I didn't tell my job that I was like riding on the side. They didn't know anything about what I was doing off of work. So when I quit, you know, they just figured I was going to go to like another restaurant or I was going to go, you know, work at Kroger or something. And I was like, no, nah, man, I'm going to go write about music. And they were just looking at me like, sure you are. And I haven't been back since. That's such a like fairy tale story. Like that's one of like the great <laughs> stories where you have someone like pursuing their dreams and, and, and really just having, you know, the fortitude to kind of know that this is something that's going to work. And then you have on the other side of the fence, someone, uh, you know, just doubting you. I, I love that. I love, you know, the underdog winning and shit. That's such a dope uh, story. Let me tell you the fairy tale part of it. My last day, I scheduled my last day to be December 31st. So I was going to come into the new year without, you know, a nine to five. So I wanted to do it early. So of course I can bring in the new year with all my friends and stuff. They made me close. And I was like, oh, this is just petty. Disrespect. But on my last day, like right when I'm closing up, I'm seeing like fireworks outside. And I was like, oh, this is a sign. Like I'm really ushering in like a new, a new like path of myself. I'm bringing in a new year as a writer. You know, there's fireworks in the sky. I, I'm going to close this door for the last time. You know, like all the lights off. It felt like the last episode of Fresh Prince. <laughs> Where, you know, you see Will, Will's in the in the house, and there's nothing in there, and cuts the light off. And you know, you know, like, the story ends there, but of course the story continues. And it was just, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have painted a better uh, picture for myself. And to be able to say, like, I haven't been able, I haven't went back, I haven't had another, you know, job. I've been able to maintain my lifestyle with just music writing. You know, I pay all my bills off music writing. Like, I, I just feel very blessed. So, like, when you originally started out, because, I mean, what, what, I guess, what led you to it? Because it's not a very conventional way of thinking when it comes to career paths. You know, most people say, I want to be a doctor or a lawyer. I want to play in the NBA or, or NFL. You chose writing. Where, where did you first, I guess, fall in love with writing and or music? My old editor, he had asked me, he was like, were you on the school paper? And I was like, no. Like, I didn't go to a school where that was a thing where you're just, you know, like, uh, you know, being young and black and in high school, it's not really cool to be in the books and stuff. So I went to a school where that wasn't, it was kind of like, it wasn't like frowned upon, but like no one was into that. So I went through like my high school phase was just like trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And then of course, coming out of high school, I knew what I was passionate about. I knew I was passionate about music and I was a pretty good writer. Writing came natural enough when it came to like writing papers and writing assignments and stuff, like the words were always, all this came together fairly easy. So I had a, a aunt during like 2008, 2009, 2010, she had a music website and it was mostly rock music because that's what she was into. But she knew that hip hop had like such a big interest in people that she wanted someone to come in and just like write a review about rap albums or whatever. So she hit me up. She was like, hey, you're not really doing anything. Would you be interested in writing about rap? And I was kind of like, well, whatever. But I just had the time. So when that kind of started, that's when I really started to get passionate about writing was just because I had something to do. And it was way more fun than I thought it was going to be. 
So that's when my passion for writing and for writing about music kind of came about was just having someone offer me an opportunity to do it for, you know, for the first time. And it wasn't for pain. It was something, it wasn't even for, you know, it was a cloud in there. It was just like something to do. But when she got done with the site, she was moving on. You know, she got like a real job. She got kids. She don't care. But I was able to, you know, take what I was writing for her and send them to editors and people like, hey, let me you know, write for you. So it just kind of uh, turned into this domino effect of just having a chance to do something and finding love in it and then going from there and to arrive where I am now. You know, it was just... It was like a five-year journey, man. It was really like five years just like figuring it out and then knowing like this is what I what I want to do. When was the moment that you realized that you can turn this um, writing career into something that you will um, be financially stable with? Because I know a lot of times when people go from like the nine to five work life and then move into more like the independent freelance world, it's uh, sometimes it can be cruel and unkind environment. So oh when was that point where you realized, OK, I can do this full time and be financially stable? Um, such a great question. Well, one, when I was working at Olive Garden, I wasn't financially stable. Like, I was living with my parents. But, like, I was making, like, I was making a lot, a lot of risky decisions. And when I say that is, I was just trying to get to the next uh, plateau. So, I had made the decision of, like, I'm in Atlanta, so, of course, everything's going on in Atlanta. And I couldn't really get on writing so what I was doing was I was doing like photography, but I didn't have a camera. So I was taking my Olive Garden checks and renting a camera and all of my money was going to camera rentals and gas money just to be in the city, just to be in the scene, just to take pictures, just to hopefully, you know, try to catch like a magazine guy or something. So I was already just like living very like ridiculous. You know, I just didn't have any money. So I kind of grew accustomed to like saving a dollar and investing in myself. So with DJ Boobie, they offered me more money than I was making at Olive Garden. And that was like, all right. And I had already saved enough money to purchase a camera. So I was just like hustling at that point. Like, okay, I know how much money I'm going to be making. And once I kind of like, it's really about like money management. Once you realize what you're making, what your livelihood is, and then creating opportunities to make more money, that's when everything kind of comes together. It's, I feel like if you're going to do anything in freelance or anything like in entertainment on the early stages, the best thing you can do is understand your budget. Once you understand, like, okay, like, okay, this is going to cut costs, this is going to cut costs, I need to invest in this for me, you, you're not going to have everything you want to have, but you'll be, you'll be stable. Like, that was my whole thing was just to be stable. Um, and then, like, right after, right after I got DJ Booth, my brother, he went to Albany State University. He moved back to Atlanta, and we had an apartment together. So, of course, you know, the bills are coming in now. So, with DJ Booth, they also allowed me to do like, some freelance stuff on the side. So, it was just not only just managing how much I was making over there, but how much I could potentially make in other places. So, I was just, I had a, I had a, I had a nice um, system in place. And every now and then, I would fall off a bit. But for the most part, like, I knew what it took for me to survive and I knew how much I really wanted to make. And thankfully with DJ Booth, um, there's been some raises since I got hired and, you know, the more money I've made has just made, you know, 
would have been kind of easier. Plus, the cost of living in Atlanta is very cheap. Like, I don't yeah. think I could be a dumbass in New York. I don't think I could do it. I don't know how y'all do it. I was about to say, you probably out there balling in Atlanta with this. We got, (laughs) man, I got a three bedroom house. We pay like $800 a month on this. Yo. Like, very. <laughs> it's can, different. It's can different. I tell you how much I hate you right now? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I talk to someone from New York, they're just like, how? How? I had homies that was like, they had like a three bedroom like apartment in New York. And they had to live with six people just to afford it. I'm like, no, nah, um, I, can't, I can't live that way. So I will say, here. like, Atlanta, like, if you're going to be a freelance, freelance in Atlanta, because the cost of living is cheaper and you can, you can manage your livelihood a lot better. That's nuts. Uh, something that you said to me that stuck out, and we, we talked about this a lot on our show, is that you said you did a lot of your uh, work early on f- free. Did you ever feel like it was in vain or you were wasting your time? No, nah, not, not necessarily. The thing is, and this is what I feel like about free work, what people have to kind of understand is it allows you to grow. You know, like it's practice. I feel like every NBA player has to go to practice. They get paid for practice. Like, does someone give you a check every time you leave for practice? Practice? Like, no. We talking about yeah. practice? <laughs> I'm saying, but, <laughs> but when you play in that game, that practice pays off. And I feel like the free work that you do is, is simply practice. It's uh, relationship building. It's sharpening your, your skills. It's building other assets. Now, I feel like you have to understand when you're ready to uh, pivot from that, okay, I'm only doing free work to I need to get paid for this and then needing to know when there's always going to be a price. Because like right now, I feel like I'm not going to do free work as far as writing goes. But I had got an opportunity maybe a year and a half ago. A magazine, I won't say no names, a magazine can hit me up in the U.K., about doing a cover story on Rick Ross and Atlanta, and there was no pay. And I was like really on the fence about it, because I was like, well, I'll get a cover story with Ross, and I'll be in a magazine, but all this work I'm gonna do for this is not gonna pay off. Like it's not gonna look like legitimately, it's not gonna be monetary value attached to it. And I have really like struggled with my decision, and I ended up just saying yes, so I was like, let me just go to Holyfield's house and interview Rick Ross. But the plot twist was we could not get Rick Ross in one location, which is funny because he was on house arrest, but he was never home. Like, so, so the Wait, deadline. How you were on house arrest deadline, and still yo, house hopping? He was on house arrest in, just, in Africa. Remember when he went to the White House with the, the deep roll? He was never home. <laughs> so the deadline for the article had passed. They had to go uh, pivot to another artist. But, like, that's when I, like, I knew that certain opportunities that you can't always get paid for. And if it's worth something to you, and you never know who's going to read that magazine and potentially give me a job after that, or who's going to read that magazine and just be interested in my work. I knew that there was some value there that wasn't monetary. And I feel like when any creative in any space, you have to know what positions and what jobs you want to take that's going to better you in the long run, even if it's not going to find your pockets. That makes sense. That makes sense. So what was that... Um, pivotal moment where you had to realize like, okay, like I, I can't always do this free work anymore. Like I have to transition over to pay work, but I'm sure it must've been hard because if people are constantly getting free work from you, how are you able to kind of like 
transition that conversation over into one that includes pay because that could possibly be hard they keep getting a free word from you and they may think well why do i have to pay you you know what's interesting is that i think you kind of have to be like the communication always has to be kind of open with whoever you're dealing with you want them to always know where you stand and even even there's some work now, especially like freelance journalism, where it might not be free, but like it's McDonald's money. You know, it's a happy meal. It's not anything that's gonna really like uh, help towards your bills or nothing. It's like you know you might do something for forty five dollars or for like you know, thirty dollars or whatever, what have you. So for me, uh, a big part of it was like understanding who was going to be worth something in the long run. Like certain relationships aren't going to last. There's some people that you're going to work with who you're going to realize, you know what, our journeys are not going in the same direction. And sometimes those people, like you just, you know, you kind of fall out of communication. There's some people who you're always going to be tied to in some form or fashion. And those people tend to be understanding of your situation. And when when you're able to talk to them about what you want, they understand. You know, they see your worth. They see your value, and if they truly, truly, truly want to see the best of your ability and, and see you go as far as you can, then I feel like they'll adjust to what you want, you know? And if they don't, you have to understand, like, okay, this is somewhere that I'll probably be working with in the long term. Just because, like, it has to be flexible somewhere. Like, of course, if you're doing free work, but you also want your employer to see that I'm worth more than this. So I think it's, it's, it's about making certain decisions certain pivots when it's time and you know knowing that for yourself so speaking of like pivoting and just trying to brand yourself was there ever a time like where you wrote a piece on a particular artist or act and maybe you know it didn't resonate well with uh it could even not have resonated well with you after the fact where you wish you could have done it differently but maybe now it wasn't I guess, uh, done correctly. So the artist feels away. So now you have to mend a relationship with the artist as well as yourself to try to get back to a different level. Mm, a good question. I, I do have pieces. I have a couple of pieces where I feel like, you know, I was just too young to write them. Yeah, I think one thing about writing is you mature into the job. You get better, you improve. So certain pieces I, I try to tackle a little, a little too soon. And I wish I could go back and, you know, fix. And then, but with artist relationships, something that I really do like about DJ Booth is that they have been very, um, very supportive in all of my opinions. So I'm, they're not going to let me run anything too crazy. And if I tell them like, this is something that I need, they're going to stand behind it. Um, probably the first artist interaction that I got that was like super sour was Kid Cudi. Mm. And I wrote a piece about Cuddy. You know, Cuddy, he, back in the day, he was on these rants about how hip-hop wasn't art. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's just all this bullshit out here, whatever, whatever. So I wrote a piece, and I was just like, no, you're wrong. There are so many artists representing it. not only just hip-hop, but hip-hop as like a culture, but hip-hop as an artistic medium of music. And I listened to all these artists, and, you know, I did my piece. So... You know, Twitter, you get the notification like, hey, so-and-so mentions you. So I see Kid Cudi's name, and I'm assuming, like, oh, shit, he read the piece. We're about to have a dialogue. I was wrong. (laughs) He pretty much told me that my opinion didn't matter anywhere on this planet until it hit the sidelines. 
Okay. And I was just like, I'll, I'll see you the tweets. Like, they're, they're insane. Like, he went off on me. You know, he called me a sideline nigga. He told me my pain didn't matter. Damn. He was just like, like, you, like, he's like, I speak, you don't speak. And it was just like, and I was like blown away because one, I just didn't expect the reaction. You know, that wasn't something that I wrote expecting him to even, you know, respond. This is, I had just got on the YouTube. I was maybe like three months in, so I'm very fresh. Mm-hmm. So to see him like react that way, I was like, oh my God, you know. So you kind of sit down and, and they told me, and, and V told me, he said, if you write it, they will probably read it. Everyone but Kanye and Drake. And I was like, that's a lot of people. You know, <laughs> like, if you're going to just tell me, you're going to just tell me like every rapper I write about is likely going to read what you say about them. And it makes me, and you know, and you're aware of this. So I don't, I don't care if they disagree with me. I just care about being very respectful with mm-hmm. my criticisms. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want anyone to ever feel disrespected. I don't want everyone feeling I'm attacking them because I would hate to read something about myself in that light. But you know, some criticism is harsh, and some artists do not take it kindly. But that's just a part of the job. So I don't really uh, worry too much about artist relationships. I feel like a lot of artists who I have criticized in the past. We have pretty good relationships, you know. They they understand where I was coming from, and as long as I write it in a way that even they can understand what I'm saying, I feel like I've done my job. So, where is that fine line between having like a respectful relationship versus having a friendship? Because um, we're starting to see, um, I-, I would say, more personalities. Because it kind of, I mean, this is even more complicated because it's the whole gray area now about people understanding what is a journalist versus writer and what is a writer slash journalist versus personality. So what's that fine line between having that respectful relationship versus having an actual friendship with them, which is kind of like a no-no in terms of journalism? Man, it's, it's, it's kind of weird um, because everyone's kind of connected, you know? Like when artists come to Atlanta, they might call me like, hey, come through. You know, I've had dinner with guys. I've had lunch with guys. I've been in studio sessions just like hanging out, you know. And it, and, it always, and I always try and keep some type of boundary, at least like in my mind, like, hey, this is, this is all like that, this, the high school homies, you know. These are still artists. They're still going to put out music. They're still going to put out content. They're going to do things. But you're going to be required to criticize. So I always at least try and make that kind of like, well, not get too close. You know, like I don't take gifts. I don't really do, I don't ask for favors. You don't take payola pretty much. I don't take payola. Yeah. But like, I just, I just, I just don't ask, you know, like when they want me to come to a show, I come to a show, but like, I don't do too much. You know, I just try to make sure they kind of know like, Hey, we're cool, you know, but not that cool. And there's certain people like, like Isaiah Rashad as an artist, like I text him um, maybe like two weeks ago just to check up on him. You know, like he doesn't tweet too much, and I have we have now we have a lot of mutual friends. Like his um his people from chat when they moved to Atlanta, uh, a friend of mine had wanted me to kind of like introduce him to the city. So in that case, like his homies are my homies now, but there's still like that artist journalist uh, separation between us two. And I feel like we know that. Like, we're not super close, but he's someone I would check up on just to see how he's doing, you know? But I have a relationship with a couple of artists. But there's, there's, I, I feel like I'm definitely trying to always be aware 
of what my job is. Because my job is integrity at the end of the day. Like, if you're a journalist without any integrity, you don't have anything. You have no value because that's all you have. All you have is your word. And people trust that word is coming from a place that's not compromised. And I'm always aware of that fact. And I, I understand what you're saying about certain personalities that's just like too close to artists. And I, I don't know if they had that same mentality that their integrity is everything. But for me, it is. And um, I'm, not, I'm not sacrificing that. That doesn't have a price on it. I can't, I can't sell that. So, like, I, I, I think about journalism, and, and Erin has said this a lot. She did a panel uh, with Mass Appeal, like, last week, and something came, uh, you know, it kind of struck me. When you're a journalist, you, you try to invoke uh, emotions and feelings and things like that. So, I mean, when you're writing these pieces, even though artists or whom, whomever you're writing about may feel a way, it's got to kind of feel good to, you know, at least get some sort of emotion. Because I, I, just in my brain, I, f- I look at it like uh, some form of emotion is better than no emotion at all, meaning no one's even paying attention to your piece. Right. Yes, yes and no. I feel like I don't want reactions. Like, that's my thing. I don't want you to react to something I read in because you, you read it negatively. Like, not like I want you to to understand and you know whatever feeling you get after understanding is is what i want but that's why i feel like in this day and age it's all like reactionary journalism where like you write something and people just react to it versus like understanding it and understanding your point and my whole thing is like if you if you get it like if you read this and you understand and it leaves with a feeling that's wonderful you know regardless what the what the emotion is like as long as you understand what the piece is, but I feel like when people react to stuff, they're not they're not um, they're not aware of what your point was. And I had this situation. I wrote for OK Player. I did a piece after Four 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 came out, and the headline was something like Four 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 is Sean Carter's first classic. Now people reacted because they assumed I said Jay Z had no classics, and I was like, where did I write that? The piece is about how Four 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 should be considered Sean Carter's first album. So to me, this is when he stripped away being Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. But people didn't even read the piece. They were just reacting because they assumed of what I said. Mm-hmm. Now, like, that kind of reaction, of course, the piece moves around and people spend the entire day yelling at you. But that's not the kind of reaction I want. I'd much rather have, like, 100 people read the piece and understand 10,000 people yelling at me for something I didn't say. So what's the difference then in your mind between reactionary and conversational? Like your piece should always um, be something that drives conversation within a culture or a subculture. So what's the difference between the reactionary aspect of it and writing it for the purpose of driving conversation? I feel like it's dialogue. If we're actually able to go back and forth, both understand what this piece is, that's a conversation. Now, if you're telling me what I said, I'm telling you that's not what I said, and we're getting into like an argument, you're reacting to something. And I kind of feel like a lot of times, you see this online, but there's just a lot of people yelling at each other and not having conversations. So you want your piece to be um, a dialogue starter. Well, regardless if it's with you or just with uh, people around you, you want people 
to see something in a light and then think about it on a level where they both want to walk away with newfound information, a newfound thought. Like, I want people to think differently and not necessarily just be yelling at each other. You know, I feel like that's such a, that fine line, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a very thin line, but it's a very real line. If you can create dialogue versus creating arguments, because one is reactionary and one is for conversation. You know, like we can have a conversation about, um, let me see something, what's something I've read recently? Like with the other Greedo and Tupac, right? I feel like people were reacting to his reaction, to, to his answer in that interview. Like it wasn't even about, it wasn't about anything but, oh my God, you disrespected Tupac. There, there was no type of substance there. There was no conversation to be had. Legitimately, it was just people yelling, upset. And I don't want, I don't, I don't really care to make people upset. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's very little there that can be substantial later on, you know. But when you can make people sit and really think and converse with you about a subject, then you're starting something. You're creating a dialogue. And I feel like the best pieces create dialogue. Who who is someone that, uh, or someone that I guess took a liking to a piece that you've written that you would have never even thought was paying attention, and it was like a pleasant surprise, like oh wow he's he's listening, he's he's actually reading my material. Mm, good question. There's a lot of people actually. Damn, balling. We got the song. My dad, go go through the Rolodex. <laughs> no, <I> mean, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's for different reasons. People for different reasons. Like, everyone's different. Like, I think uh, Rob Markman was somebody that had, uh, I had mentioned him about something. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, I read your pieces all the time. And I, I just didn't know that. And, I, you know, Rob is like OG writer, you know, like his, his stature and journalism is set. So when someone like that tells you, like, yeah, man, I like, I read all your stuff. Um, but uh, one, the Edgar's Rolling Stone had hit me up recently. I thought that was so cool because, mm-hmm. like, no, Rolling Stone, I just would not even believe to be on their radar for anything. Uh, Wale, Wale is a really cool one that hits me up about stuff I've written before, where it was just like, like you know, I think you're, you're, you're a busy rapper. I do think you have time to sit down and read stuff. And I mean, like, and I always like when uh, some people hit you up. Of course, people read the stuff that's about them, but it hits you up about stuff that has nothing to do with them. That's always cool. To just understand that it's you're you're in someone's like daily or weekly uh, rotation as far as like just content that they absorb. Um, so I think of anyone that was like super crazy, Kendrick Reeves, DJ Booth. I don't know. I don't know if he's read anything of mine that has been like super. Crazy. Oh no, J Cole. J Cole was the one. That one was pretty surprising because I met dope. him and he was like talking to me about pieces I've written, and I was just like. In complete awe. But it was also like, reading Cole was cool, but also like terrible because we had spent the entire night drinking Duce. So I was going home. Like, I had, I saw you, I had to thank him for having me out. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm going home. He's like, have you met Cole? And I was like, no, but I was like, not there. So I like, he introduces me and I was like, hey, man. He was like, oh, bro, you, oh, you're the guy that wrote blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? And then, like, we just had, like, a 30-minute, 45-minute conversation and just, like, a range of topics, but he would come back to pieces that I've written. That's what he's read. And I was just like, like, that's... And I was, you know, being 
when you come from listening to somebody like in high school, you never imagine meeting them, and you definitely don't imagine them knowing you before, you know, for anything. So to meet Cole and to know like how big the world was in 2009 to me finding that light, and to have conversations with him and him being aware of my work was just like extremely like gratifying in so many different ways. That sounds crazy though. Like, do you even yeah. remember it considering you were drinking Douce? <laughs> like, yo, like, it's, it's, look, the Douce Lounge at the, at the, um, for your eyes only tour was so amazing because this is how I knew they had money. Because when you go, you know, when you got an open bar, you're supposed to tip, right? Mm-hmm. So I was trying to tip them. They were like, no, we did it. I was like, y'all good? <laughs> oh, okay. Y'all don't want the well, spread? We'll, All right. <laughs> we'll get, right, we'll get back in line then. Like, <laughs> so they had ran out of bottles. That's what I knew was the problem. Like, they ran out of bottles. The homie had went, because, you know, Earp Gang's from Atlanta, so Earp Gang was there. But he went and got speakers. They turned the Ducey Lounge into, like, a whole party. So Cole's performing, but they're behind, like, backstage. is like a whole DJ set going on. People are dancing. People are drinking. Like, it's like, I felt like I was in two different parties. So it was it was a whole ridiculous night, and then to top it all off, like to meet Cole and talk to him, it was just like it was. It was I might have made all this stuff. It might have been crazy. Like that, that's <laughs> it's, it's, it's insane. I was about to say, Deuce is probably talking. What really happened? Right, was like, y'all just shook hands and y'all walked like, out the room. Deuce, you just kind of just started making stuff up. <laughs> you started making stuff up. Yeah, I, yeah. Don't think you take all that as a grain of thought. None of that happened. I, was, I just went home. I saw the show and went home. <laughs> I can do it to you. I can Word. do it to you. So, uh, oh, go. Oh, no, no, you good. No, I just, the only other thing, question I had was, um, I guess, a editorial monumental moment for you. It, I guess to date, what would you call that? Uh, oh, man. Um, I don't really have one, to be honest. You know, this is the funny thing about uh, writing for me is that I do it every day. Like, I legitimately write a new piece every day. So when they go out, you're already kind of moving on to the next one. So there's always been, like, like highs, but you're always, you're not really chasing the high. You're, just ch- like you're chasing the next great piece. And you just want to make sure the next one is just as good or just as great or people um you know absorb it in, in, in the same kind of way uh, i have a very hard time just like being attached to like those moments because like you're just you're just focused on work but uh yeah no like i don't think i have like one in particular one in particular probably just like having the, the book though having the collection of uh essays like being able to do that was like such a big moment for me because I have, I've never had my work in print before. So when I got the call to release an anthology of essays, it was just like, you know, like I didn't get a magazine cover, but I got a book. So it's, and it's been something that's been so cool. Um, just kind of seeing people buy it and send me screenshots of the book in their homes. Um, Dar Adams, another uh, journalist, legendary journalist, he just sent me a picture while he was at Harvard that he saw my book in the library. And I was just like blown away to, to think that I made it that far, you know, from writing pieces in my bedroom to a book of mine being at Harvard, you know, stuff like that. You just can't, you can't put a price on like that's, you can't buy that. Like you can't even, like I legitimately cannot buy that. 
So to have those kind of moments and to know these are all pieces that I've written, you know, in my in my room in different places and to kind of see how far they've gone, like the entire the entirety of it all is it just one big lesson. How important is it as a writer to kind of expand your brand beyond just, you know, writing for DJ Booth or other websites? You talk about your book and how that's kind of had an impact. And in a sense, you kind of see how the impact of your writing and your experience and you're seeing all these fans and supporters like buying your book. And it was such a big experience for you. But why was it important for you to go ahead and do something that will expand your brand or do something that is a little different than what you're accustomed to doing? That is so different. I don't think I know, like knew beforehand like how different it would be. But when the opportunity came, I was I was in a space I think I was in I was at the end of my third year. I was in the middle of my third year of music, but actually it was like so I was thinking, all right, I've been doing this for three years. It's been going really well. But I was already thinking about um, what's next. You know, what do I want to keep doing? Because I think when you're in a space, you realize all you can kind of do in it very quickly. You realize exactly what your role is and how it plays out. And I was just really trying to just figure out what was next. So the offer came, I sat on it for a while, just thinking, because I, I thought for a while that, you know, it was too soon. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what, you're, you're still very young in this. A book is a very big deal. You're you're still getting better. I, I feel like I'm still getting better as a writer. So I was like, do you want to go ahead and just uh, release this first one, or do you want to wait a little bit? But part of it was, like, also understanding, like, I want to do something different. You know, like, I want to see what another side of this game is like, you know, publishing and working with um, a publisher and, you know, having a, a different kind of editor, having a copywriter, you know, doing all these different things. Mm-hmm. I wanted to experience that. I wanted to know what that looked like because I could have self-published, but then I was like, I would miss out on the experience of learning what it was like to like, work with a publisher and to release a book in this kind of manner. So it was one, it was a learning experience, and two, I, I had the, the mindset of wanting to change things up. And uh, it was the first time selling something that had my name on it that, that dealt with uh, writing. You know, when you do pieces for a publication, yeah, they pay you, but the readers aren't. You know, no one's required to pay for your, 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 your little uh, article, your review, or whatever. So to have a book was the first time for me just to kind of see, um, not just I, I hate word fans, but like supporters, like mm-hmm. people that really, really, really have fucked with you. And a lot of these people um, that bought the book and a lot of these uh, people I consider like really close friends and associates, and they've been following me from like when I had Little Blog to mm-hmm. DJ Boop to OK Player to Math Appeal. They've seen it all. So it was just, like that next step in progression. And um, one more thing, one more thing. This is something someone told me, and I and I really believe it. Uh, Delco McFly, he's a producer from Ear Drummers. He told me, he said, you always want people to see you win. Are they going to assume you're losing? Mm-hmm. And I, took, I was like, that is so true in this age of social media. What's also very true is you want people to always see you're progressing. 
because if they don't really see you moving forward, it's stagnancy, right? They're going to assume, like, man, what are you doing? What are you doing next? Like, I've seen it. Yeah, you've been writing for DJ booth, but, like, is that it? That's all you got to do? So I never want people to ever assume that I'm stuck. I want people to always see what I'm doing next and that I'm progressing, that I'm always, like, in a, in a state of growth mm-hmm. versus just being comfortable. Because once you're comfortable, that's when, that's when you disappear. Facts. There have been many times where Brandon and I have been uncomfortable with this podcast world. (laughs) We were like coming into this like not knowing what we're doing. Blind is shit. (laughs) Eyes closed. Um, And speaking about progression, um, one of the things that I've heard from some people is that there's some people that feel like music journalism is at its worst point right now or in a sense is kind of dead. Um, you know, we, we're not really so much in the era where we had like the Elliot Wilsons, the Rob Markmans, and they feel like the only true website that gives real journalism, music writing, uh, especially album review and critiquing is DJ Booth. Um, I know I definitely always look at your reviews when it comes to albums. You're like one of the very few people that I trust when it comes to any projects or anything like that. Do you feel like music media or music journalism is at an all-time low? Or is it kind of one of those things where it's just like, no, like you have to look closer. You can't really look at all of these big websites. You got to focus more on these respective uh, writers and individuals who are kind of leading the force with that. Part of it is understanding the state of publishing. You know, like people aren't really clicking the way they used to. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things that people are being drawn to. When you think about blogs being like the curators of new artists, that's not the case anymore because we have Spotify, we have SoundCloud, we have Apple Music. You don't need a site to tell you who to listen to when there's playlists for everything. So I feel like what happened was that it was a shift toward, well, how can we create content? And I don't think everyone understood the power and value in, like, long-form, real thoughtful content because everyone's thinking we're, we're in the Spider-Wave age. People just want news. They just want funny slideshows. I feel like what the problem is, people didn't see the possibility and potential and to really, like, digging in deep and to, like, providing insightful, thoughtful journalism. So I think that had a a huge effect on the market when the big shift came, especially just shifting from magazines to everything being online. I don't think people, like a lot of the higher-ups, I don't think they were prepared for what was to come. I think DJ Booth had a little more foresight that we're going to focus on creating conversations. So I believe that's what we've been doing the last couple of years. And it's paid off in, in multiple ways. But I think if you're talking about the, just the state of music journalism, I, I look at the state of music journalism like I look at the state of rap. Like mm-hmm. people can say rap is terrible all day. You know, they can look at the radio, they can look at the SoundCloud views, they can look at these SoundCloud rappers, like what have you, and be like, this is the worst time in rap. You can say that every year. Every year someone does. Hip-hop is dead. We've been hearing that forever. But... When you know what to look for, you will find gold every time. 
no matter what, you will find a rapper who will impress you. You will find an artist who really push yourself forward. And I feel the same way about journalism. On every website, there's a writer doing their thing. Every website, from XXL to The Source to Fader, there's someone writing. You know, there's a voice. Like, it doesn't have to be the entire site. It might not be the entire site, but there is someone that is doing really good work. And I kind of feel like until we start spotlighting everyone doing wonderful work and doing less of talking about what's wrong, we won't see a change in perspective. Mm-hmm. Like, until people start to see, like, hey, like, really, all you got to do is pick that one writer at BET that you feel like is really consistently on their job. Enough of that person. Then people will see a different side to maybe even that website. Like, yeah, like, I didn't come for all that fluff, but so-and-so over there is doing their thing. And I think that's what, what, what kind of set the people apart was that we just put so much emphasis on the writers. You know, we put so much emphasis on uh, making sure that every uh, every article, you see who wrote it. You see who this person is. So it doesn't feel like it's just one big website. It's a website, but the personalities, real people, and their thoughts and real perspectives, like everyone has a space at DJ Booth. And um, that kind of... Uh, that kind of building, building your, your website to be spaces for writers allows people to see the variety and all these voices. And it's a beautiful thing. And I hope that more websites uh, start to just fill in spaces for writers. You know, like, yeah, you just have one guy that's great at reviews, have one guy that's great at interviews, have one woman that's great at editorial. You know, give them that space. Mm-hmm. And I think how we view journalism will change because there's a lot of great work going out there. I have to read pieces every day that I didn't write that it was like wonderful. I've been trying to share more more and more stuff on my timeline of just really great writers. This is not me. But I feel like yeah, like we have to we have to champion the people that are doing great work. This kind of set out there and they're on every site and even some of the smaller sites. Like it's good journalism. But like as a whole, you can always say like things about it. True, true, true. Well, I mean, I, I guess bef- before we let you go, is there are any uh, secret journalistic posts coming out soon that you can share with us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, y'all want exclusive? I mean, t- uh, nah, I ain't got nothing. Ain't <laughs> Damn. Nothing. He gasses like, oh, y'all nothing. want the exclusive? Hold on. No, uh, yeah, man, I ain't got like, shit. <laughs> um, man, like, you know, this Drake, this Drake song just dropped. We're about to try to figure out cool angle for Drake. Trying to see if I got anything. Mm, nah, I can't tell you about that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Dangling yeah, fruit. That. Right. This is <laughs> but uh what I will say is that I think it's about to be like a really a really big summer for rap. So we're gonna just uh at DJ Booth we're gonna go crazy. We're gonna be on top of everything. That's all I can promise. I can't tell you what we're gonna do, but I can say we're gonna be on top of everything. Well, speaking from me and Aaron uh, as avid DJ Booth fans, we're we're not really shocked at that info. <laughs> <laughs> right. I didn't tell you nothing new, right? Yeah, hey, we we already know you guys yeah. get busy. Um, yeah, but we do want to thank you uh, for coming on. Uh, definitely a fan of your work and and what you're doing as as well as your progression. And um, we just obviously want the best for you. And uh, we just thank you for the time, pretty mm-hmm. much. Man, thank y'all for having me. You know, we 
we listen to the podcast over at DJ Bree. You know, we love your guests. We love you guys' insight. We love the conversation. And I, I appreciate the podcast platform for also, like, just being the space for dialogue. You know, mm-hmm. like, I mm-hmm. see so many uh, promising podcasts coming up. And I think, especially in light of uh, the late Combat Jack, yeah. we need more podcasts to just uh, be pushing out not just great content, but to be uh, a piece of history. You know, like these conversations are going to last and hopefully people will go back and listen soon and always know what was going on. So may I keep doing that thing. I respect that. That word. <laughs> word. <laughs> I'm over here showing all 32 teeth. That was really nice, man. <laughs> that really was. That was some journalistic right. shit, man. <laughs> well, I mean, I try to do my job. Always, always on my job. Always on my job. Oh, man. Well, thank you again, yo. Uh, no Again, uh, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on you. You've now been rooted. Uh, you're part of yeah. the Grassroots family. Yeah. Uh, when I when I come to New York, which is I'm planning in July. I gotta come when it's hot. I can't I can't be y'all cold. Oh, I come on, man. When I come in July, and when I come, I definitely come by the studio and see you guys. Definitely, yes. definitely. That would be amazing. That'd be amazing. Of course, of course. All right. Can you post it on this too? Let me know when it's gonna be live. Will do. Will do. Will do. Will do. And for those who are listening to this, I'm Aaron Ashley Simon. I'm Brandon Kilbh Hall. And make sure you get Yo's book, Best Damn Hip Hop Writing. It's dope. Go get it. You can get it on Amazon. And also, you can follow us on Grassroots Pod, both on Instagram and Twitter, Grassroots Podcast on YouTube, and Grassroots Podcast on SoundCloud. And we'll be sure to be bringing you guys more dope and dialogue. Base content. And lastly, um, in this video and uh, in the description of this audio, you will also see our, our group me chat where we obviously talk with our fans all day long. Mm-hmm. So we want to hear your thoughts. Let us know what you think about Yo as well as this episode and to some of the up and coming stories that he mentioned. And maybe you can connect with that. Um, with that said, we out. Hey. Grass, 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 grass.